Well, happy Easter. What a wonderful day we have to worship our resurrected, our raised to life Jesus. My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary. Uh, excited to see so many of you come to hear this good news that we have. I was reminded in this past week of this group project that I had when I was in sixth grade. Now, say what you will about group projects. They're terrible. They're awful. I'd rather be set on fire. Uh, If nothing else, group projects provide wonderful sermon illustrations. So in this group project, uh, what we needed to do, we were given this list of items and we needed to select what would be the most important in order to survive in the desert. Hypothetically, of course, they weren't going to shove us all in the desert for this, but we had this whole list of things. Will we choose a knife or a tent or extra water? What would be most important for us to take? And we had one kid in our group, one a person who was emphatic to the point of yelling at the rest of us that we needed to take salt tablets because when you sweat, you lose salt from your body. And and sure, salt tablets might curb a little bit of dehydration, but not extreme dehydration. But we just wanted him to stop. And so we said, fine, we'll take the salt tablets because salt is famous for making you extra thirsty, and this place famous for making you extra thirsty. It was great. Our our teacher said she has never seen a group like ours before. We were able to make room for salt tablets, but not extra water. (laughs) We were not the best at deciding what was most important that day. But it's an interesting activity because it shows us a way of how we operate. We are always acting like this way. Every day, it's as if we're given a list of things, list of activities to take part in, list of things to believe and do, and each day we are selecting what is the most important. What do I see as the most important things to do in my day? If the thing that's most important to me is my career, I'm going to grab things from this list that further that career. You know, taking on extra workloads, staying late, going to this uh, networking event. If, most Im- if the most important thing to me is my family, I'm going to grab the things from that list that, that build into my family. If it's success, however it is we define success, I'm going to put myself in a place to find that. If it's my appearance, how I look to people, how people think of me and how they treat me, I'm going to grab the things from the list that are most important to project that. We are constantly making these decisions of what is most important. But when we come together on Easter, whether this is your first time in this building, and if that's so, welcome, so glad to have you with us, or if this is the thousandth time that you've been in this building, if that's so, welcome. I'm so glad to have you with us. But when we gather on Easter, we do so when we realize that there is one thing that is of greatest importance. That as we turn to these other things, these things to find satisfaction or purpose or our identity, that they constantly fall short of that. We need to continue to re-up them. We need to continue to invest energy and effort to maintain these things, and that's exhausting. It's constantly depleting us, requiring constant attention. 
that these things that we turn to of importance, they continue to not leave us satisfied. And so to see what is of greater importance, I want to be in a book of the Bible that's called 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 15. If you brought a Bible with you and you want to follow along with us, uh, the, the Bible has essentially two halves. They're not equal halves, but essentially two halves. And uh, One is called the Old Testament, one's called the New. We'll be in the New Testament, so about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Or you could always go to the table of contents, look for the one that says 1 Corinthians, turn there. You can Google 1 Corinthians 15, or you could follow along with us on the slides, whatever is easiest for you. So 1 Corinthians is this letter that's written to uh, some of the first Christians that there ever were. They were people living in the city of Corinth, so they were Corinthians. Corinth uh, is is what's in modern-day Greece, and it's this really bustling port city at the time. And Paul, the author of this letter, who actually ends up writing most of the New Testament, and, and we'll learn a little bit more about Paul in a bit, Paul writes to these Christians because things are going terribly wrong, that they're believing some dreadful things, they're behaving in some awful ways, that they're treating each other in ways that people should not treat each other. Paul writes to them because they are not recognizing what is most important for them to be doing. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you, uh, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first, what's the word there? First importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul writes and he says that the thing is of first importance is this gospel. Now, if you've been around church people for a while, you, we use the word gospel pretty often. And gospel has this, a really simple, basic meaning. Gospel just means good news. And what is this good news that Paul is talking about? That Jesus has died for our sins. He was raised to life on the third day, on the day we celebrate as Easter. Now, in order to understand good news, it's, it's helpful to see what the alternative is. We can only really understand how good the good news is when we understand how bad the bad news is. I mean, think about it. Someone comes up and they say, hey, I fixed your water heater. That's pretty nice. But when they say, I fixed your water heater just in time before it exploded and took out half the neighborhood, that's a little bit better. We can only understand how good the good news is when we see the alternative. And so what's the bad news here? You know, sometimes it's hard to convince people of bad news, that they, there's uh, those optimistic people that just constantly see the good in things. But unfortunately, I don't think we have to try all that hard to point to bad news around us. As we've had year after year of pain and difficulty and sorrow and loss and hurt, 
it's, it's gotten to the point where something new comes up and, and we have to play a guessing game of what's the cause of this one? Is it worker shortage or uh, supply chain issues or still impact from COVID or a war, war in Europe uh, or any number of things? We have forgotten more things that we were terrified of than, than there are new things. Remember mor- murder hornets? How we were scared about that for a while? It feels like we're on the worst game show of all time. We have to pick behind door number one or door number two and door number so on and so on and so on, but behind each of the doors is just the same pain. As we look at this world, all of us respond in the same way that this should not be this way. This shouldn't be the case. I mean, think about it. When, when, someone, uh, when there's a loss in our lives, when someone, uh, when someone dies around us, when we see someone struggling through some horrific incident or some accident, we always talk about how needless it is, about how sorry we are that this is happening because it shouldn't be going this way, that this isn't the way that we were meant to live. We all feel that. And the Bible, God's word, is resoundingly clear on this topic of, yes, absolutely, this is not how things are supposed to be. We are made to be with our God. We are made for a place that God called good, that was made perfect, where there is no pain or sorrow or loss, just relationship with him and rejoicing, where there are no hurts. That is what we are made for. And yet, when we looked at this world and thought that we could rule it better than he could, when we looked at our lives and thought, I know what's best for me, when we chose rebellion against this God who made us, who gave us everything, who gave us a world that was perfect, we turned away from him. We turned away from this God who loved us and cared for us, to try to find our own selves, to be gods over our own lives. The Bible calls this rebellion as sin. And sin drives a wedge between us and this perfect God, but it doesn't just stop there. It seeps into everything. It damages our entire self. It damages this entire world. And it separates us from this God, and it causes us to look out and just see his perfect creation full of things of hurt and pain and sorrow. It's like being in a desert where all we have is salt tablets. That is some bad news. But the gospel is that the story does not end there. The good news comes that we are not left in that state, but Jesus comes to this world. He lives a perfect life. He dies the death that should have been ours. He sees us, his creation, heading towards punishment, and he rescues us from that. That's what Paul says here. He says, this gospel that I preached to you, by which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. The salvation is on offer because Jesus has come. That we are heading towards doom and destruction, and yet Jesus rescues us from that fate. 
It's like when I was uh, a kid and I was at the beach and uh, there was this uh, riptide warning that was going on. And if you've never been in a riptide, they're, they're horrifying. The water pulls you underneath, it spins you around, and if you're fortunate enough to not smash into rocks or reefs or anything like that, you're then just stuck trying to figure out which way is up. All the while panicking and flailing about, wondering where is my next breath going to come from. I was under there for, for quite a while. I, I couldn't figure out which way to go. I was, I was just kicking and trying to find something that I could kick off of to propel me upwards. And, and I was panicking until a hand reached out to me and pulled me up to the surface. And as the oxygen went back into my lungs, I was so grateful for the fact that there was a lifeguard on duty that day. That is the state that we were in panicking, trying to figure out which way do we go, trying to figure things out on our own, wondering, will this be right or will this be worse? Wondering, what will give me hope? What will give me life again? What will fill me? Until Jesus comes and rescues us from that place, offering us salvation taking the cost and punishment that we had earned for himself, dying on the day we call Good Friday, raising to life on the day we call Easter. That is good news. And what we see with this good news is it doesn't stop there, but the fact that Jesus has come, Jesus has died, this changes everything. Easter changes everything. Everything. It changes the lives of those who trust and believe in Jesus. It changes this world around us. We look, need to look no further than to continue in our passage in 1 Corinthians. This is what Paul continues saying. He says, and then he, this is Jesus, appeared to Cephas. This is another name for Peter. We'll talk about him in a bit. And then to the 12, these early followers of Jesus. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of writing this, though some have fallen asleep, some have died by the time Paul wrote this. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, to the author Paul. Many people hear the story of one person coming, living, dying, and being raised to life. They meet that with skepticism. In fact, I would say every single person has heard that story and been skeptical about it. I mean, shouldn't we be? People don't do that. People don't die and come back to life, which is why it's so earth-shattering, why it has such an impact when it has happened this one time. But people try to explain this story away. They say, you know, there wasn't really a Jesus. But the fact that we, we have people, even non-Christians, people who think Christianity is dangerous, saying, yes, there was a man named Jesus. He lived at this time. He claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, and was killed for it. People agree on that in all sides of scholarship. There is more evidence to believe that there is this man named Jesus who existed than just about any other figure in history. If we doubt his existence, we need to doubt Alexander the Great or Socrates. We have less reason to believe they were real than Jesus. Okay, so he might be real, but he didn't really die in this way. Again, we have so much evidence that this was the case. He died on a cross, claiming to do so for the sins of the world. 
okay, well, if he died, then he's still buried somewhere. His, his body has decayed as all bodies do. But that was never the argument against Christianity. It was never that the tomb was still filled. I mean, isn't that the easiest movement to ever shut down possible? We believe in Jesus who raised a life. Then how come his body is still right here? That was never the argument that was made. Instead, it was trying to explain why this tomb was empty. Maybe the disciples took the body. And that's something that people still claim today. We can't believe this to be true. The disciples clearly took the body and went elsewhere. But that's where this passage comes in. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus who came back to life, appeared to over 500 people on different occasions in a raised state back to life. Now, yes, we can't show footage of this. We can't take away any skepticism of this, but we can look at the lives of these individuals and see how much change occurred because of Easter. Look at that first name, Cephas, or Peter. Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus, and he was a flawed follower. I appreciate him because he gives me so much hope and grace when I can look at how much he dropped the ball and see, yes, I found a kindred spirit. Peter uh, was with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to go and die for the sins of the world. And Peter says, "Uh, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't say stuff like this. He tries to correct him. Not a good look. When Jesus is arrested, he's about to go and die. Peter is afraid. He's terrified. What if I'm next? And he runs away. Eventually, he's out there and he sees what's happening to Jesus and he denies ever knowing him out of fear, out of panic, out of wondering what will happen to me. And then just a few short weeks after that, Jesus dies, he's raised, and we see Peter completely changed. He's pulled uh, before some of the the judges. He's on trial. Uh, Some of the same people who just uh, weeks before had had called for Jesus to die, Peter is standing in front of them, and he essentially says, look, kill me if you want, but Jesus is Lord. He is completely changed. Easter changes everything. We have the name in this passage of James, James is the brother of Jesus. We've been studying a a book that he wrote together as a church for the last couple weeks. And we might think, you know, James, he's the brother of Jesus. Of course he's going to believe his brother. Let me ask you this. If one day your sibling says that they are the Messiah, the chosen one, and you're supposed to worship them, are you going to believe them? I know my siblings. I absolutely would not. And we see that in the life of James. James is embarrassed by Jesus at one point. He goes to try to silence him, to get him to stop speaking. There's another time where where James and, and the other brothers of Jesus are mocking him. James had probably spent more time with Jesus than just about anyone else on earth apart from Mary, the mother of Jesus. And yet he was not confronted with who he really was until he was confronted with the truth of the resurrection, because James too has changed. He went from mocking and silencing Jesus to leading a church, to spending his life in devotion to Jesus, to eventually dying because he knew that this was truth. Easter changes everything. And we have Paul who wrote this letter 
he too was changed because of the truth of Easter. This is what he continues on as saying. Uh, verse eight again said, last of all is one untimely born. He appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul tells us that he was one who was persecuting the church. His job was to go and find those who are believing this Jesus and get them to stop doing so by any means necessary. That was his job. And he goes from that to being confronted with the reality of Easter and it changed him. He became one of the most influential people in church history. You could even make the case he's one of the most influential people in human history because of the impact that he had that came after trusting and believing in this Jesus. Because we see that this change that happens because of Easter, it doesn't just happen on the individual level. That our world is different because Jesus has come and he was raised back to life. I, people look at the impact that Christianity has when it comes into a system, even just the morality that comes with us, with how we treat others, with how we believe God has called us to live. It's led to improved lives in so many places that Christianity has come to. That we have this God who called this world that we live in good, and so we try to discover more of this world that God has made, and that's led to uh, countless discoveries by those who are following after God. It's led to the creation of libraries and in universities. It's different philosophies, expression through art that's come because Jesus was raised back to life. That we have been treated so well by this God who loved us and cared for us, and so as Christians, we seek to do the same towards others. And uh, just think, how many hospitals do you know of that have the word saint in the beginning of it? Let alone how many other hospitals were founded by Christians to care for people, or orphanages, charities, that billions of people have followed in Jesus ever since he was raised to life, despite different cultural backgrounds, economic backgrounds, different years that they existed in. What can unify people over 2,000 years despite being so vastly different other than the cross? That our world has the fingerprints of Christianity all over it because of the reality of the resurrection that individuals have been changed, our entire people have been changed as well. Easter changes everything. Now I get it, this can be so hard for us to believe. Really, a man died and was brought back to life? I understand this is a hard thing for us to grasp and trust in and believe in it. And it was hard for those first believers as well. It's why Paul needs to remind them what is of first importance. That we in our modern disposition can look back at these people of old and see how gullible they are and how easy they are to believe in myth. But it would have been shocking, inconceivable for them to believe in this as well. 
a man dies and is raised again, that was not what people were looking for. That was not the hope. Even those closest to Jesus, they did not expect this to happen. Even with Jesus saying that this will be the case, when Jesus died, they all fled. They all went back to their lives. They all thought it was over. And the thought that, that these disciples, these followers of Jesus went and, and spent the next few days scheming of, hey, we saw how great things went for our leader who was killed for this. How do we turn this into a worldwide movement? That's not what we see them do. We see them mourning. We see them filled with grief. We see them trying to pick up the pieces. We see them wondering what do they do after they put so much hope and trust into this man who is now dead. We don't see a plan in place. We see despair. And yet we see life changed following the resurrection of this Jesus. We see people transformed because of what it is that he accomplished. And we see people having to make drastic changes, abandoning things that they loved and cared about in their lives in pursuit to following after him in this way. That this wasn't an easy decision for them to do. It meant abandoning the religion that they grew up with. It meant leaving behind a culture that they were immersed in. It means that friends and families would no longer speak to them anymore. That is the situation in which we see life change occur. People follow after Jesus. And as we look at that, as we look at what was left behind, we look at what needed to happen for these people to follow after him, I think the only conclusion that we can come to is not that this is some story that's made up, but this is a story that was seen to be true and that these people saw Jesus raised to life and their lives were changed because of it. And throughout history, as we look at people's lives changed, throughout this room, as we see people's lives changed, we can only point to one thing, that this gospel of first importance, that Jesus was dead, that Jesus was raised, is truth, is real. And that is good news. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus was raised to life. And that changes everything. Easter changes everything. So the question goes to, well, how does that change us? What is different about us if Jesus has come and died and was raised back to life? And, and I think there's, there's four things that I want to focus on that, that Jesus changes about us. First is we are changed so that we can love him. As we see this Jesus who has come, who has rescued us, we were drowning underwater. We were rushing headlong towards traffic, and yet he has pulled us back from that. He has rescued us from that. He has saved us from that. As we see this love that's poured out for us as people who were far off, who had rebelled against God, who turned our back on him, who shook our hands in the air and said, I can do better, Jesus still came. Jesus still died out of his great love for us, for you. And so this love receives turns to love given back in return as we see what it was that Jesus did to offer us this good news. We are changed and we can love him. We're changed and we can know him. God is not some entity that's far off. He's controlling the universe. He's pulling these strings, but we don't have any interaction with him. 
No, God has made himself known in his word. God has made himself known in coming to us as Jesus, living this life, showing us the direction that we are to live that's for our good and for our joy. And that by coming, removing this barrier, that wedge that's between us and God, that's been ripped off, that's been cast aside, and so we can know and be known by this God because of Easter. We are changed because of that. We can follow him. We're not left to wander, wander around aimlessly in this world. How do we live in a broken world wondering uh, what we're supposed to do? Unguided, alone, unsupported, that isn't the case. Jesus has come and lived a life, giving us a model, giving us an example, showing us how we are to live until the day he comes and restores all things. And finally, and most importantly, we are changed because we can have hope because Jesus has come. We said there's new event after new event of new event of just hurt and pain and sorrow where we just throw up our hands and wonder, will it ever end? And what reason do we think that it will? Why do we look at this pattern of hurt after hurt after hurt and think that something will come that's different? Well, the only hope that we have, the only reason that we have is that Jesus has come, that he paid the price for our sins, he rescued us from this judgment, that he has made it so that we can know and be known by this God, and that there will be a day when the God who made all things perfect will restore things to be thus, that the, the pains and hurts that wound and mar will be so far removed from us to be forgotten, that we will get to be once again with this God who has only shown love and care for us. That in this world that has been broken, it will be restored once again because Jesus has said it will be done, because Jesus has said that he will die for our sins, because Jesus demonstrated that this was true, that this promise has been kept when he did not stay in the tomb but was raised back to life. That is good news. But the beauty of this is that this is good news for you as well. That we as people continue to turn to other things to find satisfaction and walk away less satisfied than before that we turn to other places for love and we feel hurt, that we turn to things for hope and we walk away feeling even more hopeless. Jesus has come, Jesus has died, Jesus has been raised to offer you good news. And so in response, we repent, we believe, we follow him, and there is nothing more important than that. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to gather on Easter. That it is a day that is more than just a regular Sunday. That we fill it full of joy and, and Easter egg hunts and ham and all kinds of fun things, but we do so because 
you have demonstrated your love for us. That you saw us far away and yet you brought us back to yourself. You saw us rushing towards doom and you rescued us. You saw us without a way to make things right on our own and so you came to make things right. You demonstrated your love on Easter. You demonstrated that you keep your promises on the resurrection and you demonstrate that you will bring hope to this hopeless world. If we are, f- we are people who cannot live up to the standards that you have, we are people who cannot live up to our own standards, and yet you came to live a perfect life for us, you came to cover our shortcomings and failures for us, you came to give us love and joy and peace through your cross, through your empty tomb. Whether we've heard the story a thousand times or the first time, let it strike us anew that this is the power of Easter Sunday that brings people together, that has been bringing people together for thousands of years. Is a story rooted in history, is a story given to each of us that you are not dead, you are alive. So it's to you and you alone we pray.